0: And if you have been following along, you've been learning that Jonah is not about a fish. It's about a great and merciful God who rescues and uses every means to rescue people from their sinful ways. And so Jonah is a great story of God's sovereign mercy. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 1 to 10 in Jonah chapter 3, and then we'll be preaching through that. So if you're not familiar with how we typically do things, we preach through different verses in books of the Bible as we go through things and let God's Word speak for itself, because God's Word is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And so we anticipate that God will speak to us again through this story today. So this is God's holy Word And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for accounts like this that reveal who you are and what kind of God you are and how you relate to us. God, thank you for this demonstration of your great mercy that you you show, Lord, how you mercifully restore, Lord, how you rescue from evil, how you turn away, you relent from wrath for all those who turn to you. God, I pray this morning that, that each and every one of us would be encouraged by your word, that You would give us faith for your restoration power, Lord, that you would give us faith for your ability to cause people to turn. And God, I pray that you would give us hope and confidence, God, that you turn away from wrath for all those who trust in you. God, I pray that you would help all of us listen to hear you. Would you enliven our hearts and minds? God, would you give me grace to speak and empower me by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we love stories about dramatic reversals. We we love to hear stories where where someone's fortunes are just turned around, where, where things are completely different from how they started out. This past summer, my son Noah and I, we got to go up and hear a guy speaking, and his name was Mario Capecci, and his story was a story about a dramatic reversal at... He was born at the very beginning of World War I. His, his mother, Lucy, she had him out of wedlock. She, she, she was a protester, though, and she used to create pamphlets protesting the Nazis and fascists. And so um, the Nazis and fascists didn't like it, and so they found out about it. And she discovered that she was found out, so she sold everything she had. This wasn't terribly much, but she sold everything that she had, and she gave it to a family to entrust her son to her son was just turned three years old so she took her son Mario and gave her to this family hid him away and gave her all that she had and them all she had and said would you please raise him and take care of him I think I'm about to be arrested and and shortly thereafter she was arrested she was taken by the Gestapo and she was put in Dachau and then about six or five five or six years later she was released from Dachau her sister was put to death in prison camp. She was released from Dachau. She went on a year-long mission trying to find her son. But what had happened to her son is that Mario, at three, he was fine. At four, the family she put him with ran out of that money and put him on the streets. And so at four years old, he was on the streets of Europe with no food, no one to look after him, nobody to care for him. He, he didn't know where to go, and so he went from town to town stealing with I guess you call it gangs or groups of little kids, basically going around stealing food, trying to care for each other. He lived that way from four to nine. So he he was left at three years old, four years old, put on the streets. At nine years old is when his mother finally found him. He had had never been to school, never learned to read and write. He had every disadvantage. He had learned to, to steal. He had learned to do bad things. By age nine, he was already this tough kid. His mom finds him took him to America, taught him how to read and write. He went on from there to get a not only a college degree, but he got a master's degree at MIT. Then he finished up getting a PhD at Harvard. You may have heard of it. It's a little school up north. And then he, not only did he go to Harvard, he interned with some guys called Watson and Crick, the guys who discovered DNA. He went on to pioneer this genetic research that, that really changed how we do genetic research, and, in, and according to the Washington Post, it's considered to have laid the scientific foundation for efforts to eradicate diseases in humans by manipulating genes, and so in 2007, this little orphaned boy, he, he was left on the streets in Nazi-occupied Europe, and discovered by his mom, taught to read and write, he, he made it to, to receive the Nobel Peace Prize in 2007. I think we love to hear stories about dramatic reversals like that because God has put something in us that we want to see humans redeemed. We want to see humans restored. We wanna we wanna see people change because we know that's not right. We know that brokenness is not right, we know that people not right with God is not okay. We we know that people suffering is not okay. So there's something in us that we we wanna see those things reversed. I think inherently what that is is the desire to see the reversal of the fall. And so there's this seed in each and every one of us that, that loves stories of reversals like that. And that's really what we have with Jonah. Jonah's it's a dramatic reversal story. If you've been here, you, you'll know that Jonah begins and you think, oh man, maybe this is going to begin really well. Jonah's this prophet and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he says, arise. And so it's, it's, it begins with this really hopeful upward kind of look arise go to Nineveh proclaim to them call out against them and Jonah knows that why God wants him to call out against them is because he wants them to repent and turn so what does Jonah do Jonah goes down and so all of a sudden the story takes a dramatic reversal it goes the wrong way Jonah goes down he goes down to Joppa, goes down into the boat. He, he goes down with the ship, or he's going down with the ship. He, he's thrown overboard because he's, he's still refusing. Up and until he was thrown overboard, he, he hasn't even called out to God. And so you see this downward spiral of a man who used to carry God's words. He was a prophet, and yet now he's at the place where he's not even calling out to God, not even praying. And the pagans are appealing to him. Hey, would you please pray? And he's not. And so... They throw him overboard because he says, I know what the problem is, it's me, but yet he still don't see him repenting until after he's thrown overboard, he's sinking to the bottom. We saw in chapter two last week, he's, he's the weeds, this graphic picture wrapping around his head, he's sinking to the bottom of the sea, and he's about to die, and in his final thoughts, he calls out to God, and then God Causes this fish. He ordained, it says he appointed the fish to go and rescue Jonah. And so he rescues Jonah. He takes him, he's and he he's in the belly of the whale, the belly of a fish or whale, whatever it was, for three days. And then he's spit back up on the shore. And, and the story, it could have ended there, and God would have been really gracious. God would have been astoundingly merciful if that's how the story of Jonah ended. And it would be a story of God's rescue and God's salvation and God's redemption. And that'd be a great place to end. Jonah doesn't end there. Instead, what we see is that Jonah continues. And there's this reversal in chapter 3. Um, God, God's not done with Jonah yet. Jonah was God's servant and he disobeyed, he rebelled. But God wasn't done with Jonah yet. And what we see is in this passage in chapter 3 is that God restores Jonah to his old post. He restores him back to be a prophet again. He restores him to usefulness. And then we see that he uses Jonah, restored to usefulness, to rescue the Ninevites, the evil people from evil, from their own ways. And then we see that not only that, does God restore and he rescues, he relents, he turns away from wrath. And that's, that's really the big idea that we're gonna look at this morning is that the God restores to usefulness, he rescues from evil, and he relents from wrath those who turn to him. That's what the story is. You see turning in this passage. Jonah's turned back to God, the Ninevites turned to God, the king turns back to God, and then God turns his wrath away from them. And, and you see really the character of God You see the the, the spectacular character of God shining like a diamond put on display, and you see God is a God who restores to usefulness. God is a God who not only does that, he he rescues from evil the very people who are his enemies. And then he turns away from wrath, even though they don't deserve that. The whole account's the story of God's sovereign mercy. Even though Jonah had turned away, he had, he had forsaken his calling. He tried to get as far away from God as possible. God shows him continual mercy. He rescued him. I, I love that picture in chapter 2 where he, he hurls like a spear. He hurls the storm and it harpoons the boat, if you will, and, and brings him to the place where he must, he must turn or be killed. So Jonah turns and now we see here in chapter 3 that God's not done with Jonah yet and In Jonah's own personal story, we see that God mercifully restores. That's the the first point we're going to see that this scripture reveals about who God is and his character. That God mercifully restores. God mercifully restores. There's a show that apparently was popular for a few years. It's called Fixer Uppers. Now, I, I have to confess, I've never seen the show. So if it's, if it's, and everybody's like, oh, I mean, if it's good, hey, great, that's wonderful. I, I, I hear it's a couple who's actually, a, a friend of mine has a church and they're in his church and apparently they're, they're solid believers in real life, not on reality TV show, but in real life. And so there's this show, Fixed Repers, and everybody loves it. Well, across town, um, we have some friends, Brooke and Todd Perkins, they recently did that with a, an old home they have. And I thought I'd show you some pictures of this. I think we have some pictures, did they come out? Okay, this is the bathroom, I don't know if you can see before and after there's a big restoration go to the next one and we see a picture of the kitchen before and after you can't even tell the difference it doesn't even look like the same place and go to the next picture there this was the laundry room and look at the top of the picture that's actually the outside in a tree right there so that's that was the laundry room before and then go to the next after that's the after picture and then go to the living room i think next or that's the the living room before you love that ceiling it's good and then the after, so there's some dramatic restoration going on. The next one, I think, one more, I think. Is there one more? No, is that it? Okay, excellent. Um, we, we love seeing those traumatic pictures. I, I love seeing old homes restored to usefulness. Maybe part of it is because I'm getting older and, and I like to see old frames be, be revitalized. Um, one of the things about getting older is you, know, you can't wait for heaven because your body will be restored to usefulness and you feel like you begin to waste away. But we, we love to see accounts and stories of, of restoration. And I, and I believe this because God is a God who restores. He's a God who restores things that are useless otherwise. Jonah had gotten to the place where he was useless. He was worse than that laundry room with no ceiling. I don't know if things are going to get clean in a laundry room like that. God restores Jonah mercifully to a place of usefulness. He was he was already merciful to him and he could have just said to Jonah, you know what? Hey, um, I rescued you and now you're good. You can go back home and you can retire in style because you kind of You kind of did the exact opposite of what your calling was. You're a prophet called to carry my words, and you refused to even speak. And not only did you not go where I told you you went in the exact opposite direction, and then time after time, so you know what, I'm going to save you, but I'm barely going to save you, and I'm going to send you back home, and that would be fine. And sometimes we feel like that about ourselves, that, that when we mess up, when we turn away from God, when we fail, that we feel like, okay, we just barely... God's okay with us, but he's not really happy. And we can't really be useful again. And and I I love reading this story of Jonah because Jonah was a useless prophet. And now, we see, I, I love it, it says God, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. God's a God of restoration. He comes a second time and he gives his word. God didn't stop speaking to Jonah. If if Jonah was your employee, and you had hired him to go and speak on your behalf, if he was your PR guy, and you had hired him to do that, and he said, nah, and he went the other way, you think, hey, I'm firing you. But God doesn't do that, and it reveals the character of the Lord that God is merciful in restoring his servant. God didn't fire him. He didn't stop speaking to him. God wasn't done with Jonah. He not only rescued him, but he restored him to useful ministry. And that's what we see here is that Jonah is is put back in a place where he's given God's word again, this this most sacred thing that that very few people ever receive God's word in the Old Testament. He was given God's word. He had forsaken it. And yet God says, I'm going to give it to you again. I'm going to give you my word again. And not only that, I'm going to put you back in a place where you're going to be able to minister again. Not because Jonah had earned it, not because Jonah was worthy on his own, but because... God's a merciful God who restores. And he takes even the most wayward, I think that's what we're meant to see with Jonah, he takes even the most wayward, disobedient servant. And when they turn back to him, God is is faithful to restore them. Even if the repentance is flawed, as Jonah's was, and we saw even in his prayer last week, that as he prayed, he kind of prayed a self-righteous prayer. When when he's saying that, you know, I'm glad that, that I don't, sacrifice to those false idols like maybe those sailors did and yet god in the midst of his flaws and his uselessness he's restoring him to useful ministry he's putting him back in the place he called him to be to begin with i i I love thinking about that because you know at times i can feel useless you ever feel useless you feel like, I failed too much, I can't be redeemed, I've done too many wrong things, I've disobeyed God so much, you know, there's no hope for me, I know better, right? Because as Christians, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you place your faith in Jesus, then, then you have had those times where you've turned away from God, where you've failed, where you've made mistakes, where you've given into to sin, where you've completely disobeyed God's commands and it grieves you. And so you might be at the place today where you think, you know what, I'm too far gone. I can't change. I can't be restored. And yet all that is doing is putting the picture on yourself, putting the, the camera on yourself and saying, you know what, I, it's all about me. Because if I'm not able, then there's no ability. And yet we forget that God is the one who's able to use people with no ability because it's not about us, it's about God's ability, it's about God's message, it's about God's grace. This is God's grace on Jonah. This is God's grace, his favor on Jonah, unmerited favor on Jonah. And then God not only gives him unmerited favor, he gives him a calling and he gives him a message. The account of Jonah should give us all hope. All those who feel useless and God can't use me ever again, it reveals the compassionate, tender heart of God. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When his servants turn back to him, God is quick to restore, and he's not chiding Jonah here. If it was me and I was God and I was talking to Jonah, I'd be like, dude, you messed up. Hey, great that you turned, but seriously? And God doesn't chide him. He he calls out to him again and says, go. Go. This is God's gracious, merciful favor. He's not mocking, he's not belittling. When, when Jonah turns our flawed back to God, he gives him his word. Think about that. What's, what's the most effective thing that Jonah could, could receive from the Lord for ministry? It's, it's God's word. And so God gives him the most powerful thing in, in all of creation. When God spoke, he said, Let there be light, and there was. When God speaks, things happen, and so God gives him his most powerful words, and he says, Jonah, go, go into the great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. And so we see that Jonah does, he, he gets up. I think that's how we're to respond when, when, God, when God speaks to us again, we're not supposed to wallow in a self-pity, a Oh Lord, you know, I I can't ever do this again. Because what that really is, is it's getting the focus off of of God and putting it on ourselves and our inability. But the reality is, if we're dead in sins to begin with, and he makes us alive, then isn't he the one that enables us to do everything he calls us to do? So we see that he's doing that with Jonah. And it should encourage us that he shows his servant grace. He says, get up, Arise. So this is a reversal. Arise, get up and go, trusting in me, trusting in my message. You notice that God didn't tell him, look down your Bibles, God did not tell him in verse 2 exactly what he was going to say. He says, get up, call out against it. The message that I tell you, Jonah, you're not going to have it all figured out, you're not going to know exactly what to say, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, trusting in me, trusting in my commission, trusting in my calling, trusting in my words, that you might not even know them yet. And so, he goes trusting in God's message, not even knowing what it's going to be yet. He said, go with the message that I tell you. And trusting in our ability, it leads to discouragement. But God tells his servant to get up. Trust in God's calling. Trust in his ability to give the words and the ability. So look down at verse 3. It says, Jonah gets up and he goes to Nineveh. Finally, the guy obeys, right? Three chapters in, he finally obeys God. It's about time, Jonah. That's what I'm thinking as I'm reading through Jonah. He finally gets up. We don't know how long it took to get to Nineveh. We don't know where the fish dropped him off on the coast there. But I know that the city was a large city. It tells us how big it was. And it's not the actual, you know, like today when we refer to the Greenville area, when we say, hey, I live in Greenville. Well, this isn't really Greenville. This is technically Simpsonville, but it's not even that. It's somewhere in the middle of Five Forks. I don't know exactly what they call this area. It's amorphous. But but if you're talking to somebody from New York... They won't even know where South Carolina is, so you have to say, South Carolina, and there's this city called Greenville. That's where I'm at. And that's, that's kind of the description we have of Nineveh. The whole greater metro area of Nineveh was about 60 miles across. So when you're reading through it, don't get sidetracked if you're into archaeology, and you're like, oh, well, the actual city was only like a mile or two across. Well, well, it's, it's the way that we all speak when we say, hey, I live in Greenville. He was going across Nineveh, this great geographic metropolitan area of Nineveh, and he's, he's having to proclaim the gospel. Now, I want you to think about the task for a moment. He's gonna go across this metro area that takes three days to walk across. And, and back then, they could, they could do some serious mileage in a day because they were in better shape than us because they didn't have cars, and so they would walk up to 20 miles a day. When they say a day's journey, that's like 15 to 20 miles. So about, about 60 miles across, and so that'd be intimidating. Imagine if you were put in an area where ISIS had a stronghold, and you say, hey, go and proclaim the message in the midst of ISIS, and I want you to walk like 60 miles, no protection, by the way, and trust me. I I think I wouldn't sign up for that. But, But Jonah goes. He's finally trusting in God. He's been restored to useful ministry, and that means trusting in God, trusting the power of his word. Jonah knows, he's a prophet, he's seen people change, he's seen people turn and repent, he's, he's seen God's word in action, he's seen what God's word can accomplish, that's why he didn't do it to begin with, but now he goes trusting God in God and his word, and now in light of God's, of God's restoring grace, Jonah gets up and goes, and what we see is that God uses his message to this deeply flawed man to mercifully rescue the Ninevites. He mercifully rescues. That's, that's the second truth we see about God in this passage, is that God mercifully rescues. God mercifully restores. He restores Jonah to useful ministry, and then he mercifully rescues. Jonah goes into the city. He starts calling out. He says, yet 40 days, none of us should be overthrown. Now, that's, that's not a real popular message. You know, If you're going through some ISIS territory. Hey, in 40 days, you're all gonna be wiped out. I, I don't know how they might respond, but I know how I think they might respond to that. Not favorably and say, oh yeah, we're going to wipe you out. And yet what, what we need to see here is this is God's word. This is God's powerful word that God uses to mercifully rescue I don't know exactly what Jonah said. This is probably not his entire message. It's probably just a summary of his message. This is the highlight of what people responded to. Most likely God gave him more things to say than that, yet what they respond to is yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, I don't read that that Jonah was so convincing. It doesn't say, you know, Jonah was so eloquent and convincing that the people just flocked to him in droves and they responded. You know, and it's not a particularly seeker-sensitive message either. You know, hey, by the way, your whole city's going to be wiped out in 40 days. You know, that's not a real palatable message. I think it's good for us to remember God brings people to himself through warnings, through judgment, through the declaration of his justice. If you are hesitant about sharing the need for people to repent, then you're not proclaiming the good news because you can't have the good news without the bad news. You see, Jonah's given some bad news, and God uses it to humble them. This stern warning, if they don't repent, God's going to judge them. The city's going to be overthrown. And that's instructive, too. It's not the eloquence of speech that's highlighted here. It's God's word. It's not being secret sensitive. It's not watering down the need to repent that, that penetrates people's hearts. It's God's word that's able to penetrate people's hearts. It's God's servant being obedient to God's message and his calling that God uses to bring conviction and repentance. That that should encourage you. It's it's not about you. It's about the fact that God's called us. He's given us a commission. He's given us a message. And he's he's able to bring people to repentance through these frail means and frail people. And look at it in verse 5. Look down your Bibles in verse 5. God brings revival. Or actually, he, he, he brings, maybe a better word, it's a great awakening. Great awakening. The people, look at verse five, you're meant to be shocked in verse five. If you're a Jew reading this 800 years before Jesus, and you're reading about the Ninevites, the people who were the worst of the worst, the most evil of the evil, and Nineveh was kind of the center of this evil activity, the most ungodlike people, the most evil, heinous people they could imagine, and then Jonah goes and he says, Hey, you're going to be wiped out, and the people in Israel are thinking, Yeah, good. And then verse five is a shocker. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They, they believed God, not false God, the God. They believed God. Not only did they believe, there's this widespread response across all the city of Nineveh. From the greatest of them to the least. And that's surprising. You know, how many great people of great reputation, of great wealth respond to God because they don't see their need for Him generally. And yet God says, from the greatest to the least, from the rich to the poor, the really important, the really lowly, they all believe God. This was a a grassroots revival. This was a, a great awakening in the city of Nineveh. And he's using this plain word of God being spoken by a flawed man who's now turned and trusting in God. And we'll see that in chapter 4, by the way, Jonah's heart still wasn't right. And that's encouraging to me, because my heart is often not right. And yet still, this flawed man with this really simple word, whose heart still isn't right, God uses him, and he not only restores him to ministry, but he uses him to to bring a rescue from evil. wasn't a perfect messenger, but God's word powerfully pierces the heart of the Ninevites, and this great awakening takes place all across the city. People who hated God, they were known for evil. They respond to this message of God as it was proclaimed, and they believe in the one true God. Now none of us are perfect. None of us speak God's word perfectly. Jonah wasn't perfect. He wasn't qualified in some sense to go because he had been disqualified as a prophet. And and, and it wasn't like he earned this by good behavior. You know, it was God's grace. You see, Jonah was was qualified because God graciously chose him. God chose to redeem him, to restore him. And God gave him a message. And that should give us hope. God's, it's God's choosing, God's calling, and God's message that qualifies us. Not an ability in ourselves. He makes us qualified. And, and Jonah trusts in God no matter how imperfectly, and he speaks this message. The Ninevites come to believe God. Not only do they do that, they, they respond in repentance. Look at that. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. Now, I don't, I don't like putting on wool because it's a little itchy, but they're putting on sackcloth in repentance. They're, they're making themselves uncomfortable, saying we're not even worthy to wear normal clothes. We're going to humiliate and debase ourselves because we know we've offended God, and so it's a sign of contrition and repentance. And can you believe it? In Nineveh, the evil of evil, what if you were sent to some ISIS stronghold and they responded like this? I think it'd be pretty exciting I think you would know that God is a powerful God who's able to rescue and restore through his powerful word that's what we're meant to see oh my goodness the people of Nineveh respond there's this genuine move too then only says they believe they believe and then they humble themselves and they fast and then look at it in verse 10 in verse six when word finally reaches the king of Nineveh he responds now, this wasn't a king like you think of the king of Assyria, but uh, the, the area of Nineveh was so powerful, the, the governor of that area was kind of referred to as a king because he was so powerful. And so that's what you see when you read the word king. Here's the, that governor of Nineveh. He rose. He gets up from his throne. There's, there's a bunch of arise language in Jonah we're meant to see. There's some irony happening here. Um, he told, called Jonah to rise, call out. Jonah does not. He goes down, does not call out. You get swallowed up. God has mercy. He calls Jonah again. Jonah arises. He calls out. And the person you least think would come up, would get arise from evil, is the, the leader of evil. And see, God's word makes the king of Nineveh rise up. And then what does he do? He, he responds in repentance. He removes his royal robes. He, he covers himself with ashes and sackcloth. And then they make this decree in verse 7. And he's, he hears the word of God and he responds. When Jonah calls out, the people believe they've responded in humble obedience and humble repentance. And the the word reaches the king. His message of God causes him to arise from the throne and respond in humble repentance. Did you get that? God's message is powerful. This is God mercifully at work through his powerful message. And he brings about change in the hearts of the people and the hearts of the king. And so this is King of Nineveh. He calls out, he proclaims, and he publishes notices throughout Nineveh. And you, you can imagine people going around tacking up notices on, on doors or wherever they put them in, in towns back then in town squares. And, and he publishes notices by the decree of the king and the nobles let and look at this: ne- neither man nor beast, nor herd, nor flock, taste anything. This is a comprehensive repentance across the board. Not just people, but even their animals. He's like, hey, I don't, I don't want to take any chances. Not only we're going to repent, but your animals are going to fast too, by the way. Nobody's going to eat. Nobody's going to drink. We need to respond to God because we have done evil. We're going to respond to God. He says, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. It looked pretty funny with a bunch of sheep going around with sackcloth on them. And look what he says in the middle part of verse 8. This would have totally astounded an Israelite. This is a, a Ninevite. Leader calling out. And you remember this calling out theme? The word of the Lord came, said, Jonah, call out. He didn't. The sailors called out to God and are rescued. Jonah goes down, he gets up again, said, Jonah, call out. And so God's word has an effect. It changes the king of Nineveh, and he says, Oh, let's call out mightily to God. Like the sailors called out to God. Now we see the king of Nineveh calling out to God. But not just call out, he says call out mightily with force, with effort, with all that you have. Just don't, no holds barred. Let's call out in repentance, asking God to save. And so call out mightily to God. And look at the content. Not just calling out to God, but they respond. This is genuine change. This is genuine heart change because not only do they respond to his word, they humble themselves, they repent, they actually turn away from evil. He says let everyone turn Repent from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. And, and that word, violence in his hands, is because the, the Assyrians were known as people who did violence with their hands, who were always holding violence in their hands, metaphorically. And so he says, repent from the violence that is in his hands. They sought God. They asked everyone to, to seek him forcefully and mightily. They weren't half-hearted. Call out with as much strength as you have, He says. That kind of response, it, you know, that rarely, if ever, happened in Israel. <laughs> what you see in, in Israel is time after time, the people of God don't respond the way they should. And yet, one time, God's word comes to these evil people, and they respond. God's word is powerful, it's mighty. God, God uses his word to, to restore and to rescue. So he sends Jonah there, and I love the response that we see In verse 9, they're praying to God. And in verse 10, we see that God mercifully relents. That's the third characteristic that we see about God in this passage, that not only is God a God who restores to useful ministry, God's a God who rescues from evil. He rescues the Ninevites from their own evil ways. And isn't that good because God rescues us from evil? And he rescues from evil. And not only does he do that, he mercifully relents or turns from his wrath. He mercifully relents. Look at verse nine. They weren't asking for justice; they were seeking mercy. And he says, "Who knows? God may turn and 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 relent and turn from his fierce anger, so we might not perish." It's, it's not it's not clear that they they thought they they weren't sure if God would repent, repent, relent, or turn. And yet they were hoping, they were praying, they were crying out mightily. They weren't sure God would relent, but they were responding and praying and changing their ways. And and I love in verse 10, look down your Bibles, it says in verse 10, when God saw what they did. You see, this was genuine change. God sees everything. God knows what's genuine. God knows when people really turn away, when they're just pretending. And says, God saw what they did. So God's saying, yeah, they, they really are repenting. God saw what they did how they really genuinely turn from the evil way. Look in verse 10. It says, what does God do? God, this would have surprised the Israelites as well as they're reading this account. They would have been surprised and potentially angry. How could God turn away from anger on our, our most hated enemy? How could God not pour out wrath on the people who've abused and used us and Mistreated us and raped our daughters. How how could God turn away from wrath on them and says God relented of the disaster He said He would do to them. That should surprise you. Should surprise us. God relented of a disaster. He said. What did they do? They just turned to Him. They repented. They humbled themselves. They cried out to God, and then they demonstrated the repentance by change and says God relented of the disaster isn't that good news for all of us? Most of us here are Gentiles. Most of us here were enemies of God. Actually, all of us here, biblically, were enemies of God. Each and every one of us were hating God in our hearts. We were going our own way, each one turning aside. And yet, when you read here, God relents of the disaster. He said he'd do them, and he did not do it. He was faithful. And there's this thread running throughout this account of how God does what he does and how his character is revealed, how how God not only restores and God rescues and God relents, but we see how he does it. He accomplishes these things through his word. He, He gives Jonah his word a second time. Jonah goes and proclaims the word again, and then when he proclaims the word, people respond, and then... God causes people to rise up almost from the dead. There's this imagery of rising up from the king. He he rises up and he repents. And God's word is powerful. Love in Hebrews 4, it speaks of the powerful word of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active. That's what we see in this whole account. God's character is revealed and then we see how God is at work. It says in Hebrews Hebrews 4, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word is powerful and he uses his weak servant, his flawed, disobedient servant who uses his word, he restores his servant, and then the servant takes the word. God rescues people from their own evil ways when they deserve wrath. God turns away from wrath. God mightily works through his word. Something for us reading as New Testament believers on this side of Christ is that's how God accomplishes things still. He, he brings his word And His Word powerfully restores. There's hope for each and every one of us here who've turned away from God. If if you've once known the truth of God, if you've discounted God, if you've said no to His calling, there is hope that you can return to Him if you respond to His Word. You can restore. There's hope if you don't know God, if you have said, no, I don't believe in God. If you respond to His Word, God rescues from evil. We've given God's message of how he turns away, not only does he restore and he rescued, he turns his wrath away from us. That's our hope and the good news of the message about Jesus Christ is that God has taken all of the wrath and evil that that we deserve to be punished for. He's taken all the wrath and he said, I'm going to put it on my son because I want to rescue the world, those who hate me. And what does he ask? He asks that we turn we repent and believe. That's what he asks for. And the surprising thing is, God does that. He restores. He makes new, He rescues. He saves us from our own evil. When we are going our own way, the Bible uses graphic language. It's like we're enslaved and trapped in sin. And yet God's word powerfully rescues us, delivers us as we respond to His word. It delivers us from being enslaved to sin, to our own evil. And he restores us, and that would be good enough, but then God does not punish us for our sins. He relents. You know, I was thinking about an illustration of, what what is this like, this idea of God's wrath that we deserve? And then I remember back in 2004, there was this earthquake that that hit off the coast of Sumatra. It was like a magnitude 9.1 and and, and it caused a tsunami that was, that was 1,300 kilometers long. And it displaced the seafloor by, by many meters along that length. And the, the tsunami was as tall as 150 feet. And it, and it reached 5 kilometers inland. It was the most widely recorded, the most devastating tsunami that we have in recorded history of 230,000 people reported dead. And you have this wave, this wave just from an earthquake. And and yet, when we look in Scripture about the wrath that we deserve, the the wrath of God is that we deserve as Amos. It's like it's rolling down a mountain towards us. And yet God mercifully relents. How should we respond as we're reading through Jonah? We're, We're meant to be in awe of God. We're meant to be in awe of God. God is God. You know, he, he restores. He can make me useful again, no matter how many times I've fallen or failed. If I turn to him, he's a God who restores. and He's a God who rescues from evil. He's a merciful God. And he's a merciful God who relents from his wrath. Jonah's a story really about how God gets things done through his word and the character of God. He's a merciful God. He's a God who restores and rescues and relents. We're called to turn to him, to cry out to him mightily, and then have faith in him. And you think, well, I'm not really running from God. Well, then we can respond with awe in in worship and say, God, thank you that you did rescue me. Thank you that you relented and, and turned your wrath away from me. Thank you, God that you've restored me. And Lord, my hope is that you will continue to restore me. And then really the good news is that one day he'll make all things new because God is a God who restores. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for revealing your character, that Lord, you are a God who restores. You make all things new, Lord. You all those who place their faith in you for the forgiveness of sins and, and, and Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, Lord, you have restored and made new. May we not have confidence in ourselves and in our abilities, Lord. May we put that aside, Lord. If anybody here is struggling with inability, Lord, may we put that struggle aside and confess that as trusting in ourselves, Lord, and may we just trust in you, the great God, who restores.